Uh, so before we jump into the message today, I got to share with you uh, about my shirt. Uh, so I got a Lincoln Elementary shirt this morning as a gift um, because I had an opportunity to be principal for a day at Lincoln Elementary, and I loved it. It was a great time to be able to be with the kids and read stories, hang out with kids, do all kinds of uh, fun stuff. So I love that. Not only did I love being there and being with the kids, it kind of gave me this uh, understanding of, you know, some maybe some things to come that we need to be doing as a church to be able to come alongside of schools and be able to help uh, make a difference in that way. So uh, I wanted to wear the gift that I was given this morning. All right, so we're starting a new series called Living Legacy. So I want to talk to you about where did that series come from and what do we hope to get out of this series uh, called Living Legacy. So uh, a long time ago when I was doing uh, funerals, one of the things that was interesting to me is, is so when you're getting ready to do a funeral, one of the things you do is you sit with the family and the family shares with you memories about the person who's passed away, right? So you, you write down memories and you write down events. So you, you have a room of people that, you know, uh, loved this person and they're trying to recall all of the things that made a difference or all of the great memories that they had with this person so that when you get up to do the funeral and you go to eulogize their life or you go to, you know, uh, share about their life that you can share and celebrate the best possible things about that person. Now, what was interesting about that is, is that one, to be able to hear, so I think it's good and part of the healing process when you lose a loved one to be able to share about the things that they did, the things that they were, the way that they affected your life. But here's what it did for me. One of the things that it did for me is I started to think, I wonder what people would say about me if I died. You ever think about that? Like, a, like if this was your last day and somebody gets up and somebody's going to sit around a room, right, and they're going to share memories of your life. Like this is the first thing that go through, went through my mind. I know what I want them to say. I'm just not sure that's what they are going to say. Anybody? Yeah. Right? Like, I know in my heart, and I know in my mind, and I know in my soul, these are the things that I want. So here's what I did. So I went down through, and I'm like, I wrote my own eulogy, right? Or my own epitaph. I went through, and I wrote down in bullet points, this is what I want people to say about me, right? That I loved the Lord, that I was hardworking, that I loved kids, that I, you know, uh, wanted to be able to build into to men, that I wanted to be able to reproduce. Like, I went through this whole thing, whole list of it, put it all together. And then I showed it some people and had them read it, some people that would be honest with me. And here's what I found. What I wanted people to say and what people would really say was a big gap. That this was a dream, but what was happening was I wanted certain things to happen, but I was making no intentional effort to be able to see those things happen. So here's what happens in your life, right? This is what we know. You have, and you'll understand this, every single day that you live your life, you are either receiving a legacy or leaving a legacy. Does that make sense? So every decision that you make in your life today, every decision, is leaving a legacy or giving a legacy to somebody else, right? Or you're receiving a legacy from somebody who's made a decision. But every decision reflects something that you will leave behind. Now, the problem is that if you just go with the downstream model, 
When I say the downstream model, if you just live your life without intentionality, so that's the downstream, right? So whatever you grew up with, whatever you like, what you're leaving is just this downstream, whatever's easiest, whatever somebody can glean for you, from you. So, you know, for me, this is what, something that was natural. So I grew up uh, working hard, and so I work hard. I don't have to intentionally think about working hard. So naturally downstream, I'm going to get up every day and somebody's going to say, you're a, yeah, right? Like it's just going to be down. I don't have to do anything intentionally to make that different, right? But these other things were not downstream things. In fact, to be able to get them done meant that I was going to have to swim upstream. Like I was going to have to make conscious decisions to not go with whatever the natural tendency is and make a decision that I'm going to do this, which is swimming upstream. Because if you look at your own life, like if you think about your life and you think about kids that you raised or people that you've been around, everybody says this, I wonder where he got that from. Right? Have you ever heard that? Like, I wonder where they got those things from. Well, they got those things from who? Yeah, the, the people around them, their parents, grandparents, people give you those things. That's why I was saying every single decision that you make is a legacy, right? It's leaving something behind. It's doing something that's going to change the effectiveness of what you leave behind. Now, here's the problem. Here's, here's the other part of it. Not only is what we want people to say to what they are saying different, the other part of it is the thing that we forget is, you know, the only thing that's going to be truly lasting? Decisions that change eternity. You see, you can make a decision to build a business and you can leave a legacy, but here's what I want to tell you. Generation after generation, someday that business is going to go away. Right? Right? You can build up money and funds and influence and you do all that, but you're only one or two generations removed and it's gone, right? Like you can choose, you can go downstream because I, I, I want this to be clear. Like you can make decisions to leave an intentional legacy that still will be gone in a generation. Is that, am I making sense? Right, so you have to make decisions. You have to think about the decisions that you make, right, and the legacy that you're going to leave need to be decisions that are going to affect eternity. Now, here's how it works, right, and we're going to see this in a little bit. How do you, through your living legacy, enter spirituality into it, right? Because I think this is a big gap for people that they don't understand. Here's what you're going to see, and we'll see it here in a little bit with Paul. It doesn't mean that you can't build a legacy with a business, but what should be in the middle of the legacy? God. You can build a business, right? The business is going to come and go. Things are going to come and go. But if the business was founded on, in the middle of all of that is opportunities to evangelize and opportunities to share the gospel and opportunities for relationships. Those are the things when the business goes away, you know what people are going to talk about? Not the business. What they're going to talk about is the effect that the business, the relationship that the business had on those people. Like you can build up all of these things that we do in the world that are going to be left after you're gone. But if you don't put God in the center of it, that legacy is going to go away. 
So we need to be able to figure that out. So here's what we're going to do over the next three weeks. So this week and two more weeks, we're going to look at the life of Paul and Timothy, and we're going to try to figure out through the life of Paul and Timothy, how can we have live our lives in such a way that we can leave a legacy and what does it look like? And in that, we're going to give you some resources. So next week, we'll have this. So there's this book called Cazone. Um, and in this book, this is where it has you actually write your epitaph and you go through and figure out what the gap is. And then it gives you tools to be able to bring them back or bring them closer together and leaving a legacy. So we'll give you that resource. But our hope is as we look at the life of Paul and Timothy, that you can figure out how to live life in a way that's going to be able to leave a legacy that lasts forever. Now, if you got a Bible, turn to 1 Timothy. So 1 Timothy uh, 1, 18 through 19, that's what we're going to be uh, looking at. But I want to give you the setup, okay? So I want you to think about the two characters that we're going to be looking at in, in depth here. The first one is Paul. So one of the things that I think is a misconception about Paul is what was his greatest work, right? So if you look at Paul, what was his greatest work? Because I think this is what people do. They look at Paul and they'll be like, oh, Paul, the church planner. In fact, to this day, you can go over to Greece, right? And you can do the footsteps of Paul, right? You can follow him on his missionary journey. So people are like, man, one of the greatest, most significant things is, is Paul went into these places and Paul planted these churches and Paul, you know, started these churches and he did these amazing things. And you can see where he talked and the things that he did, or Paul wrote these letters that we all read about, listen to, study, and talk about. Like that's the most amazing thing about Paul. But here's what I want you to understand. If Paul would have not done the most important thing, none of this would have lasted, okay? Because here's what Paul did. Paul understood, like all of us need to, that if you do not replicate yourself, it will die. You see that? If you don't choose to replicate yourself, like if you don't choose to, to turn other, and Paul did this, right? Paul did this in every place that he went. Every place that Paul went, he would bring people in and he would do life with them. So, you know, he would go, like, he'd go down the road and he'd say, hey, he would show up in a village, right? And when he showed up in that village, he'd say, hey, you want to come and be a tent maker with me? Right? And so let's go be a tent maker and we're just going to go make tents and we're going to have food together. We're going to eat at the same table. We're going to work together. We're going to go alongside. And hey, by the way, you know what else we're going to do? Plan a church. And what else we're going to do? You're going to lean to learn. You're, you, Timothy, you are going to learn to, to run a church. You're going to, like, through doing life together, this is what you're going to be able to do coming in the future. So he did it with tons of people, right? And the, the churches still went on because Paul said the same thing that Jesus did, right? The most important thing that Jesus did other than die on the cross was reproduce himself into disciples who would spread his message, Right? And the most important thing that you can do that will last forever is to be able to replicate yourself into other people. Teaching other people that the most important thing that they can do is replicate. Do you see how it could take off? Do you see how it could change? Do you see how things would be different if we chose to do that? So Paul, you know, was a person who learned how to replicate himself, right? And he learned that if he was going to do life, the greatest gift that he could ever leave is other people. So when he left this earth, the greatest gift that he ever gave us was other people. 
people that he replicated his life into, people that he reproduced his life into. Now, that's pretty amazing, but think about this. So we'd show up in a village, and so we think about Timothy. So everybody looks at Timothy, and they're like, wow, man, what a cool guy. Paul chose him and, and, you know, poured into him. But here's what I want you to think about. You know how old Timothy was when Paul showed up at his village? 16 years old. Got any 16-year-olds in here? Huh? Any 16-year-old? Come on, somebody. 16? Okay. See, I knew I'd get somebody to volunteer. I want you to think about this. Uh, I want you to think about this as parents. Okay, so think about this as parents and think about this as a kid. So here Paul shows up in a village and he, and he shows up to this 16-year-old and he's like, hey, by the way, you want to go risk your life, be a tent maker. You probably don't even like tents, but you're gonna, you get to make tents. We get to go into these villages. We get to preach the gospel. People probably aren't going to like you. They might kill you, but it's going to be the greatest thing that you ever did. How many 16-year-olds are like, I'm in? <laughs> right? Think about this. How many 16-year-olds are prepared? How many 16-year-olds are waiting for God to pluck them up? Because think about this. You know what you're reading about? Timothy is a man who changed the world, but it started when he was 16. It didn't start when he was 30. It didn't start when he knew enough. It didn't start when he had enough. It didn't start when he had everything memorized and everything done. It started, you know why it started? Because he was willing. That's why it started. A 16-year-old that would say, God, use me. I don't care how. I'm free. I'm open. Take me. Use me. I'm going to be available. Whatever needs to be done, I'm going to be able to do it. Now, first of all, yeah, I don't think very many 16-year-olds are going to be ready. But I want you to think, why? Parents? Got any parents of 16-year-olds? Huh? Any parents of 16-year-olds? All right, we'll go into the back. I don't know if, how this worked last time. How many parents of 16-year-olds? Think about this for a second. What are we doing in our homes as a parent of a 16-year-old as we're raising them up? If somebody shows up at your house and be like, hey, guess what? I'm going to take your son. I'm going to take your daughter. We're going to go off to a village. They might get killed. You know, they might get murdered. They might get tortured. I don't know. But they get to serve Jesus. How many parents? Are you going to be ready? You are. Hey, amen, one parent. I asked this in the last service. And I got twins, too. Oh, and I got, she says, I got twins, too. I got more to send, right? <laughs> But I want you to think about this. Parents, how many of you are training up your kids to send them out when God calls, not when they're ready? You see, I don't think it's for sure the 16-year-old's fault, not fart. <laughs> then that might be. But I don't always think that it's their fault. What are you doing as a parent to prepare your kids with the expectation that God's calling them to change the world? Or are we coddling them? Are we making it? Are we just, we're, not, we're not challenging them. We're going to be like, someday when you grow up. No, it's today. God wants to use his people to be able to change the world. Parents, we should be raising up kids for an army. And I just wonder, is that our focus? Because this only works, one, 
if Paul's saying, you know what? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give my life to multiplying myself into other people. That's how it starts. And it only works if there's people willing to say, and I'm willing for somebody to multiply themselves in me. And I just wonder, is part of our problem today of the idea of living a legacy, not leaving one, like living a legacy, is that we are not making decisions to multiply ourselves, and we are not making decisions to prepare ourselves for, and we're not even thinking about at this stage in life that every decision that we make is leaving or living a legacy. So we got to change that, right? we got to do something about that. If we want to make a difference, we've got to be able to do the right things for that. So 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 19, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at it and we're going to talk about this idea. How did Paul deal with Timothy? So how do we lay a foundation? So what's the foundation to living a legacy? And what are the things that we need to do to be able to bring that into our own lives so that we can do and, and leave a legacy in our lives? So here's how he starts. First Timothy 1, starting in verse 18. He says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. So two things. We'll start with. Did you see how he addressed him? His son. son. Was Timothy Paul's son? No. So why would Paul address Timothy as his son? Because here's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get you to understand something, right? He's trying to get you to understand if you want to leave a legacy, if you want to be a living legacy, you can't just think of it in the mindset of being a mentor. It's not what it is. You see the difference? You see, when people take on mentorship ideas, well, I'm going to mentor this person, or I'm going to mentor this person, they take it on with this idea that, well, if they doesn't work, we just get rid of them. True? Right? Like if they don't show up, they don't do, they don't follow through, they don't do their homework, they don't work hard enough, they don't show up. Well, they're just a mentor, not a son, because you're going to throw away your son? You're going to give up on your son? You see, he's teaching a mindset. The mindset is, if you're going to get this right, you need to approach people like they are sons and daughters of the king, and that you are taking, as fathers, taking on a son that you're going to go down the road with. Now, here's an important concept. You can't do this with everybody. In fact, you might not even be able to do it with your own kids. I want you to hear this, right? I don't want you to walk out of here and be like, well, I've tried it with my kids before and it didn't work and I'm going to try it over again. No, you just need to quit trying with your kids. It's not going to work right now. No, I'm saying right now, as a kid, you've tried to mentor them and it's not working, so I'm going to move on. doesn't mean you're not going to come back. I'm just saying, when he's saying sons and daughters, sometimes your kids don't want to be a part of that team. And that's okay, because I think so many people get caught up in this race of like, I got, it's just my family, it's just my family. No, it's not. Sometimes your family doesn't want to listen. And God still wants to use you. So sons is a mindset, not blood. 
right? You might do it with your son and you might do it with your daughter, but understand that it's not always just about your family. It's about your effectiveness and the way that you approach the mentorship or uh, approach the way that you're going to leave a legacy with that person, because then you're not going to go away, right? You're not going to just walk away. So I would challenge you that you find that. In fact, Jesus gave us a model, right? Jesus said, like, I can't do it with everybody, but I am going to do it with three, right? He had his inner circle, so Jesus had three, 12, 72, thousands. Like he, he had relationships with a lot of different people, but three people, Peter, James, and John. He poured into Peter, James, and John differently than he poured into everybody else, right? In the way that he approached it in the time that he put in. So that's what I would just challenge you. So approach it as a son with the mindset. The other part is this, that we need to learn this concept when he says, Timothy, my son, I give you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. We will never leave a legacy, right? So you're never going to leave a legacy if you see being a follower of Christ and the things that God calls you to do as suggestions and not mandates. You see, here's what I want you to see. When you signed up to be a believer right? So when you signed up to be a believer, what God calls you to do is not a suggestion. It's a duty. It's duty. No questions. You don't get to change it. You don't get to play with it. You don't get to manipulate it. You don't get to, you don't get to make it work in your schedule. You don't get to choose what you can and can't do. It's like being, like we just celebrated Veterans Day, right? When you sign up, you sign on the dotted line, it's duty. You don't get choices. It's duty. It's no different with being a follower of Christ. You have a duty, right? You are duty bound to do the things that God's called you to do. Now, here's what I want you to get, because I think this gets misunderstood. When he's talking about duty or the idea of being duty bound, see this. It's not about following all the rules. Okay? It's not your duty to follow all the rules. You know why? Because you can't. Right? See, I think a lot of you are like, and this is the, the misconception. You know why I think we have a problem with um, this leaving a legacy or living legacies? I think that the church has said so much. You know what your focus should be? Tell you know what your focus should be? Be a better person. Stop sinning. I know, hey, I saw you. You sinned. I'm going to help you quit sinning. And the best thing that you could ever do is be less of a sinner than you were before. No, the best thing that you could ever do is reproduce yourself into other people. And the whole stop sinning thing is going to come over time. Now, does it mean we shouldn't strive to be holy? No, you should strive to be holy. But you know what happens sometimes? Is you get so focused on yourself me, me, get it better, I got to get better, I got to get, you don't think about one other person other than you. Is that the model? That is not the model. That's not what he said, right? We, right, are duty bound to not only build our relationship with Christ, but build into other people. Think about this. This makes it simple. What's your duty as a believer? Here's what he says. Once you give your life to Jesus Christ, okay, once you've truly given your life to Jesus Christ, you know what happens to every single person in this room? You receive something, a gift. You know what you get? Holy Spirit, right? When you get the gift of the Holy Spirit, you know what comes with that? Another gift, 
right? Every single person in this room was given not only the gift of the Holy Spirit, but a spiritual gift. You know why you were given a spiritual gift? To serve the body of Christ. There's no exception for sitting on the sidelines as a believer. None. None. I don't care what's happened in your life, the things that have been gone in your life. God says, I gave you a gift for a reason. The gift that you were given and the reason was, is that everybody, you see everybody in this room? Your gift was given to edify, to build up, to be a part of. And so when people are like, you know, I'm just kind of sitting back and I'm just kind of watching right now. That's not the way it works. You don't get those choices. You don't get a choice. And I'm not speaking down. I'm just saying like, we have lived in a culture that has understood everything else's duty except for Christianity. You go to work, there's an expectation, right? Well, hopefully there's an expectation. You show up on time, you do your job. If you don't show up on time and do your job, right? But then Christianity and what God has called you to do is just a suggestion manual. It's not a suggestion manual. It's not. Are we going to fail? Yes. Are we not going to be perfect? Yes. Are we going to make mistakes? Yes. But here's one thing that you can land on. But do you have this heart, right? Do you have the heart? This is what he's trying to say. Do you have the heart that I'm going to do everything in my power to understand the gifts that God's given me so that I can build up, edify, work with the body of Christ? That's where it starts, right? It starts with an attitude and a mindset with that. Then he goes on. And he says this, so that by recalling, so, you know, he's talking about what we just talked about. So he says, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. Now, what battle is he talking about? Because I think this is important. So when he says this, I think this is when Paul is saying this to Timothy, you can't just gloss over why does he at this point say battle? Why is that so important? Because he's reminding him And he's reminding us what the true battle is, right? Here's what you know. Here's what scripture tells us. Every single person in this room, at whatever stage you're at, okay? Now think about this. If you're here today and you're not a believer, right? If you're here today and you're new in your faith, if you're here today and you're growing in your faith, if you're here today and you've been in your faith for 30, you grew up in it, right? Like it's just everything you are. Here's what I want you to hear. This is for every single person in this room. You have an enemy with an agenda. And here's the agenda. Steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. This does not look over class, ethnicity, social, you know, uh, the social area that you're in. It doesn't look over those things. It's for every single person in this room. And the attack is for the same in every person in this room, right? So Paul's telling him, be reminded, right? And I, and I think every person that has actually tried to work for God, doing something for him understands this, right? When you try to move forward in your faith, there will be somebody that will try to push you back and that's the enemy, And it's going to cost you something to move forward. So what Paul was trying to tell Timothy is get ready for the battle. 
You know, the other thing that I think that's important for us is not only understand that there is the battle and understand that it's always going to be a battle, but I think this is the other thing that he's reminding Timothy of, and I would say he said to, say it to each one of us in this room. Can we please fight the right battle against the right enemy? Because today, you know what part of our problem is? You're distracted fighting the wrong enemy. Like you think your enemy is your husband, you think your enemy is your wife, you think your enemy is your kids, you think your enemy is your coworker, you think your enemy is your boss, you think your enemy is... You see where I'm going? You think your enemy is a political figure, you think your enemy is... Like, like we put so much energy in fighting battles that at the end of the day... I want you to like, think about this. We're arguing over so many things that at the end of this, win or lose, is it going to matter for eternity? But we will put so much enemy, like so much effort into fighting against an enemy, right? That, that's not really the enemy, and we'll spend so much time fighting the wrong battle. Now, I think this happens sometimes naturally. Like I want you to think about this. I thought about this on my, myself. Like, if I had to reproduce myself and I had to replicate myself, what are some of the things that that I did to prepare? my kids or prepare the people around me. So I thought about this is, you know what happens when your kids are young and they come home? I mean, I don't know how young, but you know, your kids come home and, and one of the first things that we ask them after supper is, do you have your homework done, right? Like the first thing that we say to them, do you got your homework done? You got everything caught up? And I mean, and, and are you getting good, good grades, right? Let me see your report. And if you're not getting good grades, what do we need to do about that? How many times as parents, when your kids come home, do you ask them, did you do your devotions? How many times do you ask them, did you do your homework and are you getting good grades? But how many times do we say, did you do your devotions? Or how many times when your kids come home, do you celebrate? right? And talk about how many points did you score and what was the game like and, you know, how many rebounds did you get and how many touchdowns did you score and what was like, you talk about it, but how many times you sit down and talk with them about the things that will last forever? Amen. Talking about preparing them for a battle. What we say and what we show to be the most important thing in our home as these kids will grow up will be the same thing that they will translate into when they become parents someday. Because, again, teachers don't kill me. Like, I think people should get good grades, right? Like, I think that they should study. But I just think it's really interesting that as parents, right, that we don't talk about, like, not only did you do your devotions, what did God say to you today? That'd be a novel conversation, right? Like, not only did you do it, what do you think that God said to you about it? Because that's what he's trying to get in this idea, right, of, of fighting the battle and fighting the right battle and understanding that, that we're going to make a difference. We've got to train up the most important things in our kids' life and the people around us, right, that we're fighting the right battle and fighting the right enemy. Okay. And we need to do things about it to show them that. Here's the other thing. So when you're fighting a battle, and you could read about this, like if you read army books or you read about people that have been into battle, like one of the things you'll talk about historically is if you want to win, you should probably know your enemy. Like that's an important part. Like know your enemy because if you know your enemy, you can prepare for your enemy's attacks. 
Does that make sense, right? If you know your enemy and you know the way that he's going to attack, you can prepare yourself against it. So one of the things that when, when Paul was talking to Timothy and what he's saying to us, if you want to leave a living legacy, you're also going to have to know your enemy, right? You're going to have to be able to figure out what are those things that your enemy is going to do and what do we need to be on attack for? Not only as the person being or, uh, poured into, but the, the person that's pouring into them. All right, here's the first one, right? Know your enemy. What's one of the ways that your enemy is going to attack you or the people around you? The first way is this, deception. Satan is a liar and a deceiver and a liar to the core. And one of the greatest deceptions, this is what I think, this is, again, this is an opinion, but I think I can back it up with scripture, that one of the greatest deceptions is that people believing that they are saved and you are not. Amen. Listen, I want you to hear me when I say this. I'm not a legalist. You know that if you come to Life Church, I am faith alone, grace alone. Like, I believe all of that. But I want you to hear this. Here's what Scripture says, and you got to ask yourself this question, how is this possible? Why does the road that leads to destruction, and how many people are on that road? People that have read that scripture. How many people are on the road that's leading to hell? Many. Many. Narrows the road that leads to life, and how many people are on it? Few. How's that possible? You know how it's possible? Because Satan has deceived you into believing that being a good person and showing up at church and going through the motions is all you need to do to be a Christian. And that if he came back today, I'm, I'm convinced of this. If he came back today, there are going to be a lot of people still in church. And I want you to hear this because remember when um, there, this, Jesus was telling the story about the man that came up and he stood before him at the end of his life and he said, I did this in your name and this in your name and this in your name. This is one of the stories in scripture. He gets up there after his life is over and he stands in front of Jesus like, let me tell you about all the things that he did. And you know what the things that he was telling him? It wasn't that he had done bad things. You know what he was telling him? All the church things that he had did. I went to church in your name. I healed in your name. I did this in your name. And I did this in your name. And you know what Jesus' response was to him? Away from me, you evildoer. Why? Because he did things wrong? Because he sinned? You know why he said, get away from me? Because they didn't have a relationship. They were deceived that being good, being religious, reading your Bible, doing these things, somehow was going to save them. Satan had used religion to bring a false sense of security, and these people were going down this road thinking all of the time that they're good, but missed the point of salvation, which is a relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He's a deceiver. Right? And I think one of the greatest deception that he's doing is, 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 is the idea that, that we are saved and we're really not. Here's the other thing. You might have experienced this. Satan, as your enemy, as a believer, right? he's trying to figure out how do I now affect somebody that I can't take away their salvation? What do I do with that person? Right? Well, do you remember in Scripture when, when Satan goes to God and he says, I want to sift Peter? So the idea is Satan goes to God and he says, you know what? I want to test, test Peter, right? I want to see what he'll do. I mean, Peter's life's going really good. What happens when Peter's life doesn't go so good? Anybody ever been down that road? Life is going okay, and then all of a sudden life is, just blows up, 
like things that happen in your life and they're not supposed to happen that way. Satan goes and stands in front of God and says, I want to, I want to test him. Because you know what Peter's hoping for, right? To cripple a believer. Because it's possible. Circumstances in life, anybody been there? I've been here, right? I'm speaking with you. You ever been to those places where circumstances in life cripple you from being able to move forward? Things that go on in your life that, that, that you had the joy of your salvation and all of a sudden the joy went away. Anybody? Things went on in your life and things weren't the way that they're supposed to be. Circumstances of life happened. Crippling, right? Like the things can be crippling, right? But here's the thing, right? That this is what Satan didn't count on. You ready for this? Satan didn't count on this. But here's what God said. You know, when all my people, like they can get knocked down, but you know what's going to happen when they get back up? Anybody? You know what happened when you get knocked down and you get back up and you get a punch again and you get knocked down and you get back up? You know what happens? Your chin gets tougher. Your body gets stronger. Your faith grows. And what Satan didn't count on is the more you get knocked down and the more that you get up, that you become an opponent that you're never going to knock down again. Right? You see, Satan wants to try to cripple the believer by the testings of life. Like we all know this, right? It's coming. If you haven't been there, it's coming. Right, but you need to know your enemy. He's going to try to knock you down, but you know how you defeat your enemy? Get back up. And I know it's not easy. I know it's not easy to get back up. I know what it's like to continue to take blows. You know, I know what those things are like, but the way to win is get back up. The way to win is keep moving forward. The way to win is to keep battling that battle. Here's the other thing, right? It's family. But one of the things that I think that he tries to attack is this idea of family. Like he knows that if he can divide the family, then he can divide the things that are happening in life. And I'm not talking about just blood family. But I, this is what I want you to see. When God looks at his family, he does not look at family as in sections of family, right? Like this is your blood family and this is your blood family. He doesn't look at sections of people as different parts of the family. He looks at everybody as the family of God. And when you operate as the family of God, does this make sense? So when you operate as the family of God and not in segregated families, you all of a sudden raise up a kingdom of people, a family of people that's going to change the world instead of just groups of people. And so what you need to do, right? And I said this, like, I mean, I love my family. Blood's important. But remember when we first moved over here, like I never had any grandparents growing up. Um, and so when, when we moved over here, um, we didn't really have that when, when we were here. So I remember this is one Thanksgiving, uh, Susan Heupel, you know, was like, Hey, you know, I know you guys don't have any family over here and you don't have any grandparents. Do you want to come to our house for Thanksgiving? Right. And, and we went to her house for Thanksgiving until this, until this day, my kids still see her as grandma Susan, right? Somebody who poured into them, somebody who gave to them, somebody that didn't, you know, again, do something special other than to just open their home, right? To see outside of family. Does that make sense? I don't feel like this is connecting. But you have to look at everybody in this room as family and not just your blood family. Like that's the way Satan, Satan wants you to look at it individually or smaller, but God wants you to see it as bigger. Here's the other thing. Young adults, 18 to 25. We got any young adults, 18 to 25? A few of you in the room. Listen to me. 
without a shadow of a doubt, 18 to 25-year-olds, listen to me, without a shadow of a doubt, you are his number one target. You and your generation, he wants to obliterate from all of Christianity. He wants to do everything in his power because here's what he knows. You know what happens in a lot of people's stories? This is, this is, if you listen to a lot of people's stories, and I do, grew up on fire, things were happening, and then you got to this window, 18 to 25 years, and you either go up and to the right, or all of a sudden it starts to go down. Anybody's story? Got out of school, went to college, there are a lot more choices in college. Nobody? Right? Like I went to college or I got out of the house and living on my own. All of a sudden, you have choices that you didn't have before. And all of a sudden, you start making choices that you didn't make before. And all of a sudden, if you talk to somebody that's now 30, 35, 40 years old, they're talking about the choices that they made that affected them from 18 to 25. Because here's what he knows. Foundationally, if he can mess your, if he can mess your foundation up 18 to 25, he affects a lifetime. You hear me? He's coming for you. He's doing everything in his power to destroy you. He's doing everything in his power to rob you. He's doing everything in his power to steal from you. And I just want to encourage you, 18 to 25-year-olds, you guys can also be the complete opposite. To defeat the enemy, 18 to 25-year-olds, start reaching your friends. It's a missing generation, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be a missing generation. We don't have to wait on somebody else to do it. We got every excuse in the world. Why don't 18 to 25-year-olds come? Forget excuses. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You can change the world. Reach your friends. Be on fire for Christ. Change a generation of people because he changed you. And know that the first thing that Satan's trying to do is distract you, keep you busy, keep you out of focus, keep you where you're not on fire anymore. Light a fire that won't go out. Put yourself in a position that as the mandate, as 18 to 25-year-olds, that you're going to do something and that you're going to change because I think you guys can do it. If you know that the enemy's coming for you and you prepare, I think that he's, again, I think, because here's the deal. When 18 to 25-year-olds get on fire, come on, 18 to 25-year-olds, things change, don't they? You guys got some energy. You guys, you know what I mean? Like, it's just different. But, but we need your generation to stand up and your generation to help fix, you know, this problem and your generation to fight against it. Here's how we're going to end it. Here's what he said in verse 19. So the worship team, you guys can make your way back up. Here's what he says in verse uh, 19. Holding on to faith and good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck in regard to the faith. So kind of interesting how he ends it. So here's how he ends it. He says, like, listen, there's a couple things you need to do. And if you don't do this, right, he's talking to them individually and the things that you're trying to do uh, in the future. Like, if you don't do these things individually, your life, and some of you have been there. Have you ever been in a shipwreck? Like, have you ever had where life is just messed up? You know what I mean? It's just not the way that it's supposed to be. You've just been going down these roads and just, you don't know how you got there, but all of a sudden you're in a mess. Here's what he says, okay? If you want to stay out of a mess, if you don't want to see a shipwreck, if you want to be able to be a living legacy, here's what you need to do. You know what the first thing you need to do is? Keep the faith. 
Like, I know that this sounds weird, but listen, you ever um, think through this idea, right? And I've, and I've said this, and I think this is probably true. Part of the reason that we get in trouble is idle minds and idle time. Anybody that had a shipwrecked life that was because you, you had too much time to think and too much time to, to waste, and so you wasted it thinking and doing things that were not productive. Right. So I want you to think about this. When it talks about this idea that um, keep the faith, think of it this way. Be on mission for Jesus. Be, do, be about those things, and it will leave less time for your life to get shipwrecked. Be about his business. Do the things that he's doing, and you'll have less time you know, to be able to get in trouble. So do the things that he's called you to do. Back to what we said from the beginning. If you don't know your spiritual gift... You probably ought to try to find your spiritual gift. If you're not serving, if you're not a part of, if you're not doing, if you're not involved in edifying the body of Christ, just so you know, if you choose to sit on the sideline and you choose not to be involved and you choose to watch from the outside, your life will be shipwrecked. It's the way that it works. Your faith, because he built you Right? The way that he built you was to use your gift to edify, to build into, to be in community. Like That's what he built you for. Those are the things that he says. And if you don't do them or if we go against them, right, then we're going to end up in trouble. The other thing he says is have a good conscience. And so here's what he's talking about, the conscience or your Holy, the Holy Spirit that's in you. So your conscience, so pain is to the body as conscience is to the soul. So why were we given pain? Right? So if you smash your finger with a hammer, guess what happens? It hurts. You know why it hurts? So you don't smash your finger again. Right? Well, I know some of us do, but I mean, you try not to if you smash your finger. Right? You tend, if you decided one night to pick up a hot log out of the fire and it burns your hand, and it hurts for a long time. You have, if you have a brain that receives pain, you probably aren't going to do what? Because there's going to be pain, right? Like your conscience, the Holy Spirit, when it tells you to not do and you ignore, it's not pain that you experience, but a broken soul. This is how it works, right? When, when you hear, when he says, like, I mean, some of you guys are out there, you know better. You're doing things today you're not supposed to be doing. And you have something inside of you that's like, hmm, not good. But you're ignoring it. You know what's happening by ignoring it? You are ignoring the thing that God built in you so that your life doesn't get shipwrecked. Because continual ignoring of the Holy Spirit and the things that he tells you to do, at some point in your life, the wreck is coming. The wreck is coming. And so the listening to the Holy Spirit is preparing you to not have those moments in your life. Have a good faith, keep the faith, and have a good conscience. So here's how we're going to end. Two things I want you to do. Here's the first thing. I want you to think about somebody who has made a difference in your life. Okay, think about somebody who has made a difference by either 
meeting with you, talking with you, or just watching the way that they do life. And I was going to say write a letter, but I figured nobody writes anymore. So send a text, okay, to this person. And here's what I want you to say. Living legacy, thank you. I mean, you can say more, but I just want you to text them and say, living legacy, thank you. And I want you to recognize, and I want you to think about who are these people that have left you a legacy, and I want you to thank them. And people out there, like, you need to hear it. Like, you guys are leaving a legacy. You are making a difference, and we need to hear that, and you need to hear that from other people, right? That's the first thing I want you to do. Here's the second thing. I want, to, I want you to write your eulogy, write your epitaph. What do you want people to say to you uh, at the end of your life? If somebody was going to get up today and they were going to eulogize or talk, I want you to write it. And then here's what I want you to do. Find somebody that will be honest with you. You got to find somebody who'll be honest. And I want you to show it to them. And, and I want them to honestly look at it and say, yep, everything you're doing right on track, keep doing it. And or say, nope. What you want people to say and what people are going to say, there's this gap and here's the things that you need to do differently. And I want you to intentionally change something in your life so that your intentionality will leave it that you will see or you will leave a legacy that will last forever. Okay, will you stand so I can pray for you? Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you so much for the opportunity that you have given to us knowing that the way that we live our lives and the things that we do and the legacy that we leave, Lord, will be lasting forever. Lord, I pray that you will challenge each one of us to make a difference, to live in such a way that will change the world. And not only change the world, Lord, that we will pour ourselves into other people and they will change the world. Lord, give us the courage to step out, step up, and do the things that you've called us to do. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.